0: Hey, so my next guest is a DJ named Lane 8, who I absolutely love. You may not have heard of him if you are not that into electronic music, but he has a certain sound that I absolutely love. Before we get started, I'm going to play you his song, Sunday Song, a part of it, so you can get a vibe for the type of music that he creates from scratch. So take a listen. This is Sunday Song by Lane 8.
1: for joining us thanks so much for having me what an intro that was incredible (laughs) no
0: i'm telling you no joke like i've made so many videos i don't know if
1: you've seen any of the videos i've made where literally i'm like dancing to your music my manager sent a couple of them over yeah when like when this whole podcast thing came about um so yeah yes i have because the thing i love about your music and i mean
0: everything i say for me it's been my music of 2020. And it literally is meditative, soulful, um, happy, it's emotional, it's a journey, you can dance to it. I find it just so unique and I really appreciate you creating it. I wrote this last book that comes out in December, a lot of the inspiration I would turn on Sunday song. That song, Sunday song, is a smash. Like that is my favorite song this year. Thank you so much. It's very kind of you, but, uh, anyways, I'm fangirling, uh, right (laughs) now. And I never, and by the way, like I've had huge guests, I've had Dr. Phil, I've had Jessica Simpson, but you know, there's something about music and the creation of music and what, like what inspired you to become a DJ? And what's your process in terms of creating music?
1: Well, it was sort of a long journey to get to being a DJ, actually. Um, I, I've always been interested in music. Um, my, my dad was a huge music fanatic, and we always listened to records growing up. And then I got interested in making music um, just through piano and guitar and playing in bands with my sister when I was eight, nine, ten years old. And then at some point in my early teens, I, I got a drum machine and a keyboard and I realized that I could make an entire song just myself, and I didn't need like my sister or my, or our, one of our buddies to play drums or whatever. Um, and that was like a big step forward in terms of realizing, okay, I can just do this whole thing myself. Um, because I was, I always felt like I was a lot more into it than any anyone around me. Um, it's really like all I wanted to do was just like make music, and <clears throat> I think the, <laughs> the other people in that circle were kind of like. It was like another one of many things that they were interested in. Um, but I was pretty obsessed. And shortly after that, when I was in high school, I, I got my first copy of a program called Fruity Loops, um, which was like an entry-level computer production software that a lot of people started out on. And I got totally hooked and just made music all the time from in my high school years and my college years. And then um, after I graduated college... Um, I had been making dance music for a while, not really having any success, but once, once the music got to a point where some DJs were playing it, people like The Magician and Jody Wisternoff from Anjuna, um, they, um, it, it sort of became clear that this was like a viable path for me. Um, so while I'd had this sort of tangential relationship to DJing, um, it wasn't really until the lane 8 project started taking off that I started DJing like all the time like I do now um before that I would just you know we would I would play like for 10 friends at a party like at the end of the night um but I would I was never like a DJ DJ um growing up and were you when you started making music what did your parents think they loved it they were super cool um like all my birthday presents for years and years were like all like it would be like a guitar amp or like a new symbol for my drum set or whatever like it i was just like super obsessed and i think they were happy that i was like doing something productive rather than like just playing like shooting video games or whatever right um so yeah they were super supportive my dad being really into music obviously um was it was just sort of a natural fit And
0: so how do you come up with your sounds? Because I find them to be like, I was saying before um, it's almost like you have a certain sound that's so meditative and you can also dance to it and it can get like, how do you come up with these sounds?
1: Um, It's trial and error. I mean, it's, you know, every, everybody starts in the same spot, right? You start with just a blank, there's nothing there. And then you have to just sort of somehow get over that hump of like just trying things and having them not work out. And then eventually you land on a sound that actually works. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a mixture of, just using like these synthesizers that have these sort of, especially these software ones now, they're so advanced and so they have so many capabilities that um, I think most professional producers don't really understand the full capabilities of the synthesizers that we use every day. Um, and you really, the deeper you go, the more interesting sounds you can make. Um, so it is sort of something just to sort of dive into headfirst and really, um, yeah, just, just try to go all out. And I think that's, that's one of the things that attracts me to electronic music is the pursuit of new sounds. Um, you know, there are, there are super groundbreaking and unique bands, um, or singers and, you know, there are super unique sounds in every genre of music, but electronic music, it's almost about coming up with new sounds. That's like one of the main tenets of electronic music. And one of the main things that I love about it is that the goal is to make something that's super different. You're not trying to make the same sound that you did in the last album. You're trying to evolve and make a new thing. Um, so it's sort of a different approach to music making. And one of the things that I really like about electronic music. And what, what's what been the hardest thing for you in this career? That's an interesting question. I... I You know, when I look back on my career, which is not a super long career, I've been doing lane eight since 2013. So it's like seven years. Um, looking back, it's like amazing to me how well everything has worked out for me. Um, I feel like I've been really, really fortunate. I think probably the toughest thing, the toughest period for lane eight was when I moved to Germany, um, at the end of 2013, um, and I lived there for a few years. And I had been living in San Francisco and I started getting booked to play shows around the States and was building a na- bit of a name for myself and things were going fine. And I just sort of thought that if I moved to Europe, I would be able to do the same thing that I was doing in San Francisco there. Um, and I had a bit of a rude awakening Um which was that nobody in Europe had any idea who I was. Like, my music had not reached the same level of penetration there as it had in the States. Um, and so that, you know, that was tough. That was a hard pill to swallow. Um, but, you know, I was there for several years. It was, it was actually a great time um, in my life in so many ways. I got exposed to so much great music that I wouldn't have been exposed to just being in Germany at that time um, when so many producers that I really admired um, we're living there as well and doing shows there and rubbing elbows with people that would go on to influence me a lot um, in in later productions. So um, yeah, I, I kind of tried to take a positive spin from it, but that I guess if I had to point pinpoint one point in time that was particularly tough, that would probably be it. So nothing, nothing is tough for you today in this career. Like
0: I can tell you in my career, so I, this coach Mike Brand, right, launched two years ago prior to that. I was working with entertainers, I've been in mental health for almost over 18 years, right? Mm-hmm. All behind the camera. Went on music tours, traveled the world, and then Dr. Phil was like, I I had him come to a charity event, I met him, and all of a sudden I started getting thrown on TV, right? Like I didn't have this big vision. Like a lot of artists are like, I dream about selling out a, an arena or my legacy like that I would meet with. And I was always like, who wants to do that, right? And so, like, for me, it's been hard in terms of, like, how much of myself I reveal. Like, you're a private guy, can tell from your social media. Like, you'll share your kids, you'll share your family, but it seems like you're very – it's, like, I don't know. Like, is there nothing in the success that you've had where you feel like it's challenging you based upon the need to be – the biggest DJ, or more popular, or anything?
1: Right, right. Well, I mean, there is that, I mean, it's the same thing I think that a lot of people go through. You constantly move the end zone that you're trying to get to, right? So like, you achieve one thing, and then it's like, so, I remember back when I was living in San Francisco, like, when I was in my early 20s, like, just the idea that my name would be on a nightclub flyer was like, that was everything. If I could just get my name next to, you know, Oliver's or next to Jody Wisternoff's on a flyer somewhere. It's like, and that, that was like, that was it. And then of course you achieve that and you achieve it many times over. And then it becomes like, just like, whatever you don't care about it anymore. And then you're on to the next thing. It's like, then you want to be on a festival flyer and then it's not only enough to be on a festival flyer. You also want to be like one of the top ones on the festival flyer. Um, There, you know, there is that, like, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I don't think it's bad to be ambitious and to want to succeed. Um, I think there's, obviously, there's like an unhealthy level of that if it's like overwhelming um, the way that you approach things. I've always kind of tried to take a music first approach um, to everything, like when we when we announce like new tours or new anything, really, we always try to like connect music, um, as like the primary part of it, which, um, surprisingly it's not how a lot of musicians think, but, um, yeah, I mean, as far as like success and like fame or whatever, um, you know, like, I don't, I don't obviously deal with like any super high level of like intrusiveness into my private life. Um, And in terms of social media or interviews or whatever, like, I I don't do like a ton of press. I never have. Um, I only say yes to stuff that seems like it would be cool and that would be like interesting to me. Um, And on a similar note, like I don't share anything that I don't want to share. So it is sort of driven just by like what I feel like doing, which is sort of the dictatorship <laughs> that I've created here.
0: No, I get it. It's almost like you bring up that example. It reminds me like the first time I was on Dr. Phil, I was like, mom and dad, I'm on Dr. Phil. It's, you know, I'm telling all my friends by the 40th time, I forget to even call them. Right. <laughs> like right. you just the line. So where's your line now? Or do
1: you find that you've stopped putting lines? Um... No, I still have, there are still things that I would like to accomplish, of course. Um, I mean, I think for for me personally, um, like as a musician, you know, one of the most important things to me is um, creating those experiences. I mean, right now we can't do that, but creating shows um, and experiences for people that are really meaningful. um, And you know, if you want to like boil it down to metrics, you know, we look a lot at ticket sales and that sort of thing. And that, that is a huge focus, um, for basically any professional artist, um, you know, the live arena is where we make the vast majority of our money. Um, and it's sort of used as, as to sort of create this pecking order that you see, um, on festival flyers and everything else. So there is, a, there's a lot of pressure on that. Um, you know, I mean, I do care, like I want to sell as many tickets as possible and like give the most people as possible, a great experience. Um, so yeah, but it's not like, I don't have like concrete numbers. Like I'm not like, Oh, I want to sell 40,000 tickets this year or whatever. It's like, it's not that concrete. It's more like, are we, are we building like are mm-hmm. things? Are we taking it up a notch each time we come around? Um, and as long as we're doing that, I feel pretty good. About and how do
0: you how do you come up with names for your songs, considering so many do not have words? So you guys, when you listen to this, you got to check out Lane 8, which, by the way, another pivot on this. I feel like your music's good for mental health. Like, your music, if you, if someone just chills, literally kicks back, like I was listening to what you dropped today, which was your collaborations, and... Um, mm-hmm. And if you just kick back and listen to your music, it like, honestly, I mean, it it's so it feels like I'm getting healthy by listening to it. And I also want to jam and dance, but it just feels so good. It feels like clean. Um, I don't even know what the question was before that, but everyone listening, you got to listen to Lane 8 music. I mean, a lot of a lot of the people who follow me know I love your music because they'll ask me to get different artists because I've worked with a bunch of people. I'm like, no, I want Lane 8. And then it was so hard to get you <laughs> because honestly I wrote my last book and then I probably listened to Sunday song, no joke, 200 times. Yeah, When I felt depressed, I would turn on Sunday song. Like Sunday song always gets me out of a mood that I'm in because there's something that like, it just, the way it builds up, like, are you, when you're creating
1: these sounds, are you like feeling through it? It's very, it's different from from my perspective, because there's a lot of like, there's a lot of the technical aspect that you have to sort of be aware of. Um, It's not to say that I don't enjoy making music. I I love it, actually. Um, And I do occasionally, I will have those moments where I'll just sort of listen to something and enjoy it, Um, like in the moment. But it's, I also have the other part of my brain, which is like, oh, like fix that thing, fix that thing, fix that thing. So I, I only get to enjoy like a little five second snippet of it before it, my brain goes back to analyzing and trying to fix, solve problems and fix things. Um, <clears throat> or like ideas will come up like, oh, you should maybe add this or delete that or you know whatever. So it's just sort of like a constant push and pull between Obviously I need to like have the big picture, like I need, so in a sense I am listening in the same way that anyone else would listen to it, um, to the big picture and how does it make you feel? And is it, you know, is it doing what I want it to do? Um, but then there's also like the technical aspect that sort of takes away from the, the immersion that I think so many people experience when they listen to it.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think the same as when I write books, it's, it's a little torturous for me because I'm like analyzing a word on a page and how could I say it differently? And over and over again, like I just read the audio book for my last book and I already was like, oh, I want to change that and that and that. Whereas the people on the receiving end are like, oh, we feel it's so good and we love how it makes us feel. And I'm like, you know, it's it's sometimes challenging. Do you listen back to your music now and, and still think that? Like, do you listen
1: to your own music or do you I, I try not to. I mean I obviously right now we're not doing any shows, but at shows I I, I obviously have to listen to it because it's playing. Um and I, I mean what happens with my typically with my music, all when I'm making it, I'm like really into it. I'm really happy, like especially when I feel like I've finished it and it's where I roughly where I want it to be. I'm really, really excited. And I'm listening to it all the time while I'm working on it. And then at some point I get really, really sick of it. And then it's, I just like put it away. Don't listen to it. And then it comes out and then people react to it. And I mean, thankfully, usually the reactions are positive and then I sort of fall back in love with it a little bit based on people like enjoying it. Um, But then having to play it, or having to play it like playing it at shows um sometimes get super sick of it again so it's this sort of up and down oh, yeah. thing that happens um and I always like I never stop like analyzing stuff like if I hear an old track I'll just be like what was I thinking like why did I put that there um so that never stops. I'm sure in the same way, like if you read like an old piece of writing, it's just like, what what, what was I doing? <laughs> yeah, um, completely. <laughs> but
0: so you, your wife did, you're married and you have kids, right? Yeah. And so did you meet your wife, how long you been married or together with her?
1: Um, We have been married since 2016. So, so you, she met you after you were... She met you after you had started being late It was sort of side by side. Um, I was just making the like first two or three tracks when I met her actually. Um, so the, the two things have sort of, in terms of the timeline have been almost exactly overlapping. Got it. And, and does she listen to your music? Yeah, she does. She's she like she doesn't come from any sort of electronic or dance music background. She comes at it from like a very like mainstream um, sensibility, which is great because sometimes I get like in these rabbit holes of like, oh, it would be cool if I did this like really obscure thing. Um, So it's good to have like a like a perspective that is so different
0: from my own. You know what it is too about your music? And by the way, I hope I'm not making you uncomfortable by complimenting you this much. And I swear I won't be, cre- I'm not a creepy dude. I'm not stalking no, it's, you. It's, it's great, that's why I'm here. <coughs> but, um, so I used to be a hardcore like raver kid, right? Like candy kid. Mm-hmm. Like went to the first right. Nocturnal Wonderland, like bartended at the oh, Roxy wow. in New York. Yeah, went to Juju Beats, was at a party every weekend for years. It's like, and I also was extremely high, right? I ended up like completely losing it because, you know, candy kids seem to like to uh, chew on ecstasy and, and do some meth. <laughs> but anyways, I, um I, so then I got sober whatever. I've been sober over 18 years and, uh, but I still, I still go out to like after hour parties and, and still mm-hmm. like to dance, right? I'm 40, but I still like, there's a, there's, it's a part of my life that I love and like, You, do do you find it's like challenging to work in any of those environments? Like, is it because of the hours, because of the crowd you're around, because there's
1: people with no boundaries around DJs typically? So it's, yes, the, I mean, the hours are really tough. Um, the, the, the first tour that we did after our daughter was born. Um, like our, our oldest, she came with us to every single, I mean, she didn't come to the shows at night. Like we had a babysitter, but like we traveled with her. So we would do these shows from like midnight to three or from one to four or whatever. And then we would go back to the hotel and she would be up at six or seven. And like, we did that for an entire tour, I mean, for an entire year. Like we went on, like on the festival circuit then and did the same thing. Um, It was, yeah, it was tough. I mean, like staying up super late, um, like for work. Yeah. But it's like, you know, you know, the environment, um, and then having to be up super early, um, trying to do your best as a parent and then also traveling it was, yeah, that was, that was not easy. Um, in terms of the environment, I, I have not really struggled with that as much as I know some people have. Um, I really enjoy like when you when you're starting out. Um, I think it's the same for everyone. You're just so excited to be there. The fact that you're getting paid a couple hundred bucks just to like DJ in front of a couple dozen people is like this is the greatest thing ever. Um, and so I really enjoyed that. Like you know, the first time you get on a plane to go play somewhere outside of your home city, all that stuff like is, is so special. And but those are the environments where um, you deal with people who are like really drunk or really high or, and like are all in your business and like want something from you. Um, and that can be challenging as, as the project has grown and the shows get bigger and bigger, um, there is this wall that comes up between you and the audience for better or for worse, um, where, you know, there are shows where if I didn't want to, I wouldn't have to interact with anyone. Like I could just be completely isolated, go on stage, leave, go to the hotel. I wouldn't have to interact with a single person besides mm-hmm. my Maria, my tour manager. Um, so, I mean, I do meet and greets cause I like to like get in front of people and like hear what they have to say and, and get that energy. It actually helps me, um, in terms of motivation. Um, but yeah, as you, as you, as you sort of move through that system, um, there is a natural element of you know, you're not like two feet away from people like all night, like when you're first starting out. So it's kind of an interesting evolution of things. I've always thought it's a little, well, I
0: get why, but it's such a bummer that these start so late, you know, like maybe on tour, you started earlier. I don't know who it was. You did your touring through, but like a lot of clubs, the after hours, you know, you're like, when you went on tour, what time did your set start? It de-
1: I mean, it depends. Usually the venue will have a typical running order. Like if you're playing at a theater, there, it's not going to be as late as if you're playing at Space in Miami, um, where usually the headliner doesn't even go on until like 3 a.m. or something. So it really depends on the situation. There's, some, there's so many different ways to do it. I, I'm with you. I prefer an earlier show. Like, Like the ideal show for me is... Outdoors, beautiful weather, nice setup, and like not super late. Like, let's just do this at a reasonable hour. Yeah. And then we can all go home and just like be happy. Um, obviously, nightclubs, it's like a different thing. Like, nightclubs are great. Um and there's a time and a place for it. Um, but yeah, how late it is is not it's definitely not one of my favorite things ha- about.
0: Have you have you ever had an audience where like You felt fired up, and all this for whatever reason, the music wasn't resonating. And then, and then maybe they even asked you to put on a track. Like, have you ever had those, like, are you kidding me moments where, like, you can't get the crowd right and they're like suddenly asking you to play hip hop?
1: Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I have so many examples of this. I mean, luckily it doesn't happen that much anymore um, because I think, I think now, like, sort of my, my music and my reputation does sort of precede me at most shows, um, luckily. But when you're starting out, you get asked all kinds of stuff. I mean, I remember one of the first private events I ever did, um, it was a wedding and I guess like the groom was a big fan and, but like nobody else at this wedding had any idea who I was. So it was like the most awkward situation. Like I started playing my music. I mean, well, first of all, let me back up. I came on after like a 12 piece Brazilian samba band who were just like killing it. And then I'd just get up there and I'm like, doop. (laughs) Um, And the energy in the room just completely evaporated. And I was supposed to play for like three hours and they pulled me off after like an hour. They were like, like, we're going to give the next guy a chance. They're like, can you play that cotton Eye Joe song? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was just like such a bad fit. Um, and you know, when, like in the early days when you will, you'll just say yes to almost everything like that kind of thing happens. I, um, I was, I, I would say I was fortunate to mostly play on a circuit of clubs and for, for promoters around the States that were known for booking electronic music right? And, ho- and house music or whatever. So it was never, it was never the, got to the point where it was like, Hey, can you play like Britney or like, Hey, can you play like <laughs> Lil John or whatever? Like, I don't think I've ever been asked to do that. Right. Um, although, yeah, I mean, some of the more like disheartening moments, like in, uh, like as a young DJ is like, when you get that sort of hint that, like, hey, like, can you can you kind of <laughs> can you play like a, a top forty song, and then all of a sudden, or just like, or or just like, hey, like, can you kind of like get it going here? Like, <laughs> I'm like, what? I already like, I have been.
0: <laughs> wow. And so now, what do you, now? What are you doing in terms of the business that things are shut down and there's not, um,
1: you know, there aren't these big festivals and you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I've been making a lot of music, which is sort of what drives everything in the first place. So it's been a nice sort of chance just to get back in the studio and really focus there, not have to like start something and then go play a bunch of shows and come back and try to recapture whatever you were doing. I've just had a ton of time to make music. And then I have a record label as well um, called This Never Happened. And we've had a super busy year, actually, um, releasing a lot of music from other artists. Um, so that's been fun as well. And I sort of, I curate the music for the label. Um, and it's, it's just sort of music that I would play, like in my sets or in online mixes or whatever, stuff that I really love. Um, and then we just try to sort of give it a bigger platform. So that's been a big focus um, as well.
0: And so you released today, cross pollination. Yep. And that's a that's a collaboration with different artists through the last year. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I was. I mean, earlier this year, I was doing a lot of collaborations with some of the artists on my label, as well as sort of in my in my general world of music. Um, and w- there were like set, six or seven tracks. Um, that all kind of fit together quite nicely. And so we kind of thought, well, let's just put these all together. Um, It's sort of a snapshot of like quarantine for me. Like it's been in so many ways, such like a lonely year. And making music with like, with my music buddies, even though we're super far apart, like some of them live in the Ukraine. um, So some of them live in LA or, you know, even though we're hundreds and thousands of miles away, um it has provided some level of like hey like we're st- we still have this thing that we're all like pushing towards um and so that was the sort of the whole concept behind doing that album but yeah it's um i think it's seven seven collaborations from this year um all, all from me with seven different artists so and, been a and fun project awesome is there any one song that you're most proud of that you've created Uh, it's like my feeling on that is always like whatever I'm working on right now. Cause like I, like I told you before, like once I've, once I'm done with something, I usually I'm super sick of it. And then just, just like, no, I like don't ever want to look at it again. (laughs) Um, so like what excites me is working on new stuff. And, and so it's, it's very hard to answer that question, I guess. Um, and like, I'm, you know, I'm not the kind of, Artist, I've never had like a hit song. Like I don't have any hit songs. Um, like I have plenty of songs that have been super successful and I'm like super happy with how they've done. Um, but I'm not an artist where it's like, oh, he's the guy who made that track. Like I don't have any tracks like that. It's all, they're all just sort of, they've all just sort of been on the same general level, um, which I think is really great. Um, and I enjoy that it's, it's not like when I go do a show everybody is just waiting for that one song, which would drive me insane. Um, so I like that there's a lot of balance. Um, and there isn't that one track that just like sort of way outperformed. Any other right. Reason.
0: Right. It's not like you have all about that bass or, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, call me or call me maybe of electronic music. Um, right. But what you're doing is blue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, we're in heaven um mm, banger yeah banger so um uh but i do still think robert miles is amazing uh all this yeah. old school music like children and fable and all that stuff is that that kind of that's that's been in commercials and it lives and breathes. Mm. but um all right cool man well i'm i'm so appreciative of you coming on the podcast of course um, happy to know, be here thanks so much for having me and uh we will Uh, Everyone follow Lane8music on Instagram, on Spotify, or any of the music channels. Just Lane8, it's Lane and then the number eight. And uh, check them out. And you'll hear me talking about it in our empowerment group and also through our email list and everything. So thanks again, man. Thank you. All right, cool. Thank you, Lane8 for coming on Always Evolving. As you heard, I'm a huge fan. I'd love for you guys to subscribe to this podcast, rate it, give it a five-star if you dig it. It certainly helps me out. Also, I have a free empowerment group that meets every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Go to coachmikebear.com to add your email to that list. Once your email is added, you're on it and you'll find out who's speaking every week. This last week I spoke, but I've had amazing guests and hopefully you will join us. And until next time, stay safe and keep it magical.